Well, I'm going to be speaking, as I said, on the Melchizedek order, okay? The ancient order of Melchizedek. And it's a very important subject. And in some respects, maybe the most important subject for us at this time. And at any time. Because it leads into the fundamental question that we we should be asking. Who are you? Okay? Because when you find out who you are, your actions will flow from that. And, and what you do will flow from that. And I think a lot of the problems that we have in what we would call this generation or modern day Christianity, whatever, stems from a lack of knowledge and understanding of who we are. And so what we do is we do church stuff, we do activities, we do man-made programs. We fashion church according to what we think church should be. Okay? And that's been the case for many, many years. And so we see declension. We see a falling away. We see churches closing, churches emptying. And I think the reason is we don't know who we are. And when I say we, I mean collectively, individually and collectively. What is the ecclesia now? If you remember back in the days when we started Arise Scotland, we addressed this quite a bit, Bert in particular, myself, all of us spoke about, you know, what church is, is meant to be, the ecclesia, the called out ones, and the, the knowledge that ecclesia means governmental assembly. It means a government. It means a, a parliament, or as Bert liked to call it, a senate where you didn't just sit in a pew and sing a few hymns and, you know, listen to a sermon, but you were a senator in a governmental body. And that's what church is meant to be. When Jesus says, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he wasn't saying, I'll build a religious club or a wee holy huddle, you know, three hymns and a prayer sandwich. He was saying, I will build my government, my kingdom, the, the rule of my kingdom in the earth. And that's what the order of Melchizedek is all about. So I want us to start our scripture journey, if you like, by looking at a, a verse in 1 John. Because I want to answer that question. Who are you? Okay, who am I? If we ask the question, who am I? Who am I, Lord? What am I here to do? And both of those questions are answered in this verse in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17. And how can I be made perfect? Perfect here does not mean uh, sinless perfection. It means maturity, full grown. How can I mature in the Lord? Okay, because I... I see a lot of immature Christians. I see a lot of Christians, and the reason they're immature is they don't know who they are. Now, I can tell you this right now, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but if Prince William was brought up in your house, he wouldn't be ready to reign. Amen? Because he, doesn't know, he wouldn't know who he was. The reason Prince William... Uh, is ready to reign. The reason King Charles became ready to reign is they were brought up knowing who they were. And they were brought up in a royal household. And you, anybody ever seen the film King Ralph? I know it's going back a bit. Yeah? Where the, he, he's just some slob in America and they discover when the, the, the monarch here dies, he is the natural heir and successor so they bring him over from the States to make him king of, of England, of Britain. Amen. And it's a comedy and everything else. But he doesn't know who he is. So he doesn't act like a king. If you don't know your royalty, you won't act like a king. So here it says in this verse, herein is our love made perfect. Just look at all the questions this answers, this one verse. 
Herein is our love made perfect. How can I grow in you, Lord? How can I be, you know, just like you? How can I be Christ-like? How can I have perfect love? And, and Well, it tells you, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Imagine being bold in God's presence. Imagine being cheeky in God's presence. Amen? You know, we all like these wee kids that stow in and they're gallus, as we call it in Scotland, don't we? We all love that. You know, and you look at these wee kids that come in, you know, all timid and you think, oh, you know, bless them, but you just love a cheeky, a cheeky bairn. See, I'm from Edinburgh, so I call them bairns. Amen? They're no wains to me, they're bairns. But we do like these wee gallus kids, don't we? And that's what he's talking about here, that type of confidence and boldness that will come into the presence of God. I remember uh, hearing about Kenneth Hagin and this illustration given, it was a great one. Kenneth Hagin, the, the illustration was given that if you wanted an audience or a meeting or an appointment with Kenneth Hagin, you had to go through his secretary, you know, you might have to wait quite a while because he was in great demand, mighty man of God, and so it was a privilege to be granted an appointment with Kenneth Hagin. Uh, and you had to come in, you, know, you, you do the, the, the honour thing, and you know, you're, you're appropriately, uh, you know, you conduct yourself. But, and you couldn't just walk into Kenneth Hagin's office, that was the whole point of the message. And we all know people like that. You can't just stroll in, to the CEO of a big company into his office. Amen? Can't just do that. You know, brush past the secretary, the receptionist. I'm in to see Big Jim. You know, whatever. But the illustration about Kenneth Hagin was, was that his grandchildren would just come into his office even if there was people there. They would just come into his office, jump up on his knee, oh, granddad, and all this. Okay? And they, he didn't say, oh, you can't come in. Why? Because they belonged there. They were his grandchildren. And they had the boldness. See, you and I need to know that at any time, you and I can just go into the throne room and have access and jump up on father's knee and get a cuddle. Amen? You and I need to know that's what he's talking about here, that type of boldness, that type of confidence. The Bible says, come boldly to the throne of favor. It's not a throne of condemnation. It's not a throne of why are you here. It's a throne of favor. Why? Because you don't just have access, you belong there. That's the relationship that we have. And if you don't have that type of relationship, you're still in the outer courts. See, the Holy of Holies is no longer separated from us. You know, we, we have a laugh with Stevie, because every time you speak to Stevie, he talks about going beyond the veil. Amen. And it's, it's, it's a laugh, but he's right. Because that's where we should be living. Not visiting. It's not visitation, it's habitation. Anyway. We may have boldness to the judgment. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Because, here's the reason. As he is, as he is, so are we in this world. Wow. Is there a more profound, powerful, religion-busting statement in the whole of Scripture? As he is, so are we in this world. Think about it. It's not a lie, Jesus, it, it, the Word of God said it. It's not a dream of some preacher trying to, you know, big us up as Christians. It's the Word of God. And when we take God at His Word, we see results. But when we apply our theological filters, or really what that means is religious devils speaking to us and telling us, that doesn't really mean what it says, does it? Just like when the serpent came to Eve. And remember this. The serpent will come. 
Amen. Amen. The serpent came to Eve. The Bible says Adam wasn't deceived. So ladies, be very careful with the voices that you listen to. And here's the thing. This is what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying this to belittle you. I'm trying to say it to, to show you something here. Okay? That same lack of discernment. Eve didn't really fully understand that she was made in the image of God. And you, you may have gone to churches where the men are made in the image likeness. And the women are some kind of subspecies. Does that make sense? Oh, the men, it's only the men that can speak. Ladies, keep silence before the Lord. Well, there's a context for that. We won't get into that. It's not what we're about. But the serpent basically said to Eve, you're still lacking something. See, the Bible says that male and female created he them. Both the man and the woman, both Adam and Eve, if you like, were in the image of God. The woman was not a subspecies, but somehow that subtle thing of the serpent got into Eve, you know, you're not a man. God made Adam first. Then he made you. You know, I mean, you know, Adam's got all the power. Adam's got all, Adam, you know, you're just a woman, Eve. But do you know, if you, if, you, if, you eat, if you eat this fruit, you'll just be like God. You'll just be like God. And the implication, you'll be like God and Adam. So there's no inferiority. That was the deception. That was the lie. See, Adam wasn't deceived. Because Adam knew that without Eve, he wasn't complete. And Adam knew that, and by the way, when it says that God made a help me, we, we again, are religious filters, mean that she was there to do the dishes, to do the ironing and the hoovering. Yeah, that's how she would help Adam. Amen. She would clear the table and make sure Adam was fed. All of that. But that's not what help me means. When the Bible says the Lord is my helper, it's the exact same word as help me. And what it really means is that Eve had a function of protecting the man from attacks. Oh, wow. See, when you get into the Hebrew, you get into the Greek, you understand that sometimes you're and I've got to say, I think sometimes our translators just didn't dare translate what the word says in Hebrew. Classic example in Genesis where it says that uh, Yahweh appears, Yahweh said to Abraham, I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Exceeding great, I'm your exceeding great reward. You see, that was the translation, but the Hebrew says, I am your shield and your rapidly increasing, superabounding money supply. That's what it says in Hebrew. Oh, we can't put that, because all those prosperity preachers will go off their nuts. Amen. But that's what the Hebrew says. In fact, I was teaching this at Bible college one night, and one of the young uh, Romanian boys shouted out, in the Romanian Bible it says, I am your wages. Because that's what it says in Hebrew. Anyway, we're going off... We're talking about the order of Melchizedek, and I'm preaching so many different sermons here. As he is, so am I in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. We can say that with confidence. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't say as he was in the days of his ministry on earth, walking by the Sea of Galilee. Now, we all, we've all seen Jesus of Nazareth. We've all seen these films where Jesus is in the dusty streets of Palestine and all the crowds around him. We've all seen him, you know, in that context. And yes, he was the miracle man. Yes, he, he was sinless. Yes, all of that. But that's not what this word is saying. It doesn't say as he was in his time on earth 
when he emptied himself of divine power and came as a man anointed by the Holy Ghost. That's not what it's saying. It says, as he is. And that means as he eternally is, but it certainly means as he is right now. Now, what is he right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father and reigns over all the universe, over every creation, over the spirit realm, the glory realm, the physical realm, every part of creation. He sits and reigns and rules over it as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, as the second person, capital P, of the Godhead, as the eternal Word and the eternal Son. He's reigning and ruling on high. Now, when this word says, as he is, that's what it means. You're exactly, as that Jesus, the Jesus who reigns on high. That, that changes the context. That changes it because it's easy to think, oh, well, I'm just like Jesus. I'm here amongst all these poor folks, all these sinners. I'm just strolling through life, you know, Jesus and me. No, as he is. Ruling and reigning over myriads of angels. Conducting the affairs of all creation under his rule. That Jesus, you're as he is. Amen? And of course, there's, there's a play in words here if you understand that the word Yahweh, which is the divine name of God, we translate it Lord in most of our Bibles, capital L-O-R-D, which is not the right way. In the original Hebrew, it's Yahweh, or Jehovah, if you like. And that word Yahweh or Jehovah in the Hebrew means he is. So when it says, as he is, so are we, what it's saying is, as Yahweh, so are we. So we're as Yahweh and we're as Jesus, and that's the plain truth and word of Scripture, and no religious filter is going to remove the truth. So, why am I saying that? Because the answer to the question, who are you, is right there. As he is, so are we. Now, there's a whole bunch of other things, and we'll look at some of it, of course, that speak about our identity, but that particular scripture, that scripture, I want to tell you, I'm going to give you a, a revelation here that God gave me. If you will speak that scripture over and over, it's a fast track, a shortcut to spiritual growth. Amen? You can, you can save yourself years of listening to stuff, years of going to church, years of going to Bible college and all that, just by taking that verse and meditating it and speaking it over and over because it tells us herein is perfection. Herein is, is maturity and boldness in the presence of God when you understand the reality, the truth, the eternal truth, that as he is, so are you. You know, John had this revelation. That's why they couldn't kill him. Did you know that? They tried to kill him. They couldn't do it. They had to exile him. Because this made him invincible. He knew who he was. He was called the apostle of love. And he wrote about love, didn't he? And because he had an understanding, because he had a revelation, and the summation of it was, well, this is how to make your love perfect. This is how to be mature and, and, and strong and mighty in the Lord. Just understand as he is, so are we. No filters. No qualifications. You can't make it happen. He already has. Just receive it. To as many as received him. Who wrote that? Same guy. He gave them power to become the sons, the children of God. In other words, John understood that he made it happen. And you don't have to go to Bible college. Sorry, Margaret. You don't. You don't have to study for years under theological professors. In fact, see, if you do that, you'll never understand this truth. Because they'll talk all your identity out of you. Amen? Unless they're anointed. And so many of them aren't. First John chapter 3. Again, it's all in John. I just want to show you this, okay? See, when we're talking about the order of Melchizedek, 
We have to start with, who are we? Because if I just say to you, you're in the order of Melchizedek, that means nothing to you. Amen? You have to know who you are. Let me just put it this way. Say you worked in, say you got a job in the hospital. And they said to you, we're going to give you a salary, 40 grand a year, we're going to give you a uniform, and you've got all the perks, and you know, you're now part of our, uh, part of our uh, team here in the hospital. And someone comes up to you and says, what's your job? Don't know. I haven't been assigned one. Well, are you a doctor? Are you a consultant? Are you a surgeon? Are you in the medical side? Are you a, a nurse? Um, are you a technician? Well, I don't really know. don't really know who I am. I just know that I turn up and they give me a salary. I've got my badge. So I know what my name is. And I know who my boss is. But I don't know what I've been assigned to do but I work in this hospital. I just show up every day. But nobody's ever told me who I am. Now, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? That's how most Christians attend church. That's how most Christians attend church. What are you here for? Well, I like, I like the people. I like the minister. He's a great guy. Oh, I love the building. Oh, the hymns are good here. The worship's wonderful here. But who are you? Well, I've been, I've been trying to figure that out. How long have you been a Christian? 25, 30 years. And you don't know who you are? No. Nobody's ever told me. I just got the general assumption that I need to turn up and sit down and listen to, and, and sing a few hymns. And oh, the one thing I do know is I'm a giver and I'm a tither because that was taught me. Amen? But what, what's your function? What are, what's, your, what's your assignment in the Lord? Oh, I don't know. Until we know who we are, you can't do what you've been called to do. I know I'm emphasizing this, and I know we've maybe heard it all before, but the reality is, is that God wants a people in the earth who know who they are, who know their assignment, who know what the, their function is, and who, who, you see, you can't start doing it until you know exactly who you are. First John chapter 3, and again, this is talking, watch this, John's always talking about love. Amen? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Now, this guy knew who he was, didn't he? And he knew who he was called to be, and he, know, he knew who we're all called to be, and he said, look at, the, look at the kind of love that God showed to us, that he's calling us his sons. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. The world doesn't know its identity, but we do. Amen? In this world, you have to know who you are. Beloved, watch this though, watch this. Verse 2, 1 John 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Present moment, present tense, we are. Not all oh, one day in the glory, in the sweet by and by, in the sweet by and by. No, no, now. Now are we the sons of God? Now there's your identity. Okay? You're a, you're a son or a daughter of God. And let me just say this to you. The kingdom, the church, the ecclesia, the things, it's a family business. So whatever God is in the business of doing, you're in the same business. Amen? Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Jesus went about destroying the works of the devil. That's your task too. There's a lot more than that. But know who you are, and then you'll know what you're called to do. Watch this. Beloved, now are we the sons of God? 
and it does not yet appear what we shall be. What does that mean? It means it's not fully manifest what we're here for or who we are. The Bible says creation groans, longs, yearns for the manifestation of the sons of God. Let me just say this to you right now. Creation is not longing or yearning for Jesus to come back. The Bible says creation is longing for the manifestation of the sons of God because Jesus has a generation. Amen? And we're that generation. I don't mean in time. Every Christian is, is a generation. In time, every Christian is Jesus' generation. But I believe, because the Bible says creation, in Paul's time, creation was still longing. And you look around the earth today, and you see creation is still longing for something to happen. And that something is the manifestation of what John says here, the sons of God coming forth in full splendor. It's not yet happened. But we know that, we know that, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, is that talking about the second coming? Well, the reality of it is this, I believe it is, but I also believe it's talking about when Jesus is fully revealed to the world. When will that happen? When the sons of God manifest. And what it says here, watch this, when we, shall, when we see him as he is, we shall be like him. You have to have a vision of who Jesus truly is, who he really is. Not the stuff they feed you in the religion factories. Not even the stuff they, they feed you. It's not wrong, it's not inaccurate, but when we, we watch all these DVDs, movies of Jesus and his life here on earth, it's wonderful. We get revelation. It blesses us. It leads us to him, did for me. But friends, we need a revelation of him. But it says here, as he is. Not as he was in his earth walk. As he was in his earth walk is part of it, yes. But who is Jesus right now? And why, why are the nations in a tumult? Why is there darkness on the face of the earth? And great darkness in the people. Because there's no revelation of who he is. That's why we go back to Isaiah 6. Arise, shine, the light's come. The light is the revelation of who Jesus really is. And it says, when we see him as he is, we shall be like him. In other words, a vision of the truth. See, we talk about, oh, I want to be Christ-like. And so we're taught by the religion factories that being Christ-like is going through hundreds of trials and getting smashed to bits. Going through the furnace for Jesus. Well, that's part of things. But the Bible says we shall be like him when we see him as he is. Christ-likeness is a true vision of who Jesus really is at the right hand of God the Father, and that will make you a king. That will make you a king. You're already a king. That's going to bring the king right out of you and into full display. I was watching uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Lawson. You probably know I'm talking about Franklin Hall. Remember Franklin Hall, the atomic power fasting guy? And he was the guy who was a catalyst for a lot of the latter rain stuff. I was watching some of uh, the old meetings right way back in the 70s or 80s or something like that um, of, of his kind of meetings. And that's what they kept talking about. That, that was their message. The Jesus that's inside you needs to come out and be shown on the outside. Okay, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm happy. No, no, no. You don't even need to tell people you're a Christian when the glory of the Lord is seen upon you. That was their message. That's our message. That's the gathering. The glory shall be seen upon you. 
if it isn't seen upon you, how are they going to know? Oh, well, I'll tell them, I'll give them a tract and tell them I go to such and such a church. We've been doing that for years and it doesn't work. Why? Because the glory needs to be seen. When we see him as he is, we'll be like him. So we'll be like he is. Oh, wow. You will need to introduce yourself. You will need a business card. You will need a tract. Because they'll see something. They might not be able to verbalize, but oh, wow. Now, that's by introduction. Okay, let's go to Psalm 110. I want to talk about the Melchizedek order. Now, something we need to understand here. It's very simple. I'll introduce it like this. David had a revelation of Jesus. A thousand years before Jesus walked the earth. And Psalm 110, and incidentally, this psalm is the most quoted in the New Testament because it's so central. But David had this, see, what happens when you say Jesus is Lord? The Bible says that that saves you. Romans chapter 10, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's not the Roman road. That's not seven steps to knowing the Lord. That's not you know, four steps to, to salvation. That's just one step. Say Jesus is Lord and mean it. Amen. See, we make it complicated, don't we? We make it theological. But a lot of people will tell you, probably you yourself, when you get saved, you don't, it wasn't a formula. But there's something in you that said Jesus is Lord, and when you say it with your mouth, you're saved. If you confess with your mouth. See, sinners out there, don't try and give them you know, 17 steps. Here's the one step. Get them to say Jesus is Lord. Anyway, that's... Look what Jesus said, sorry, David said, a psalm of David, Psalm 110. And I'm reading this from the, the proper name uh, version of the King James, so that we, because it says in the King James, the Lord said unto my Lord. And you'll notice it says, capital Lord said unto my Lord, and the, the, the second Lord is not capitalized. That's because it's different words in Hebrew, which you won't always get from an English Bible. Yahweh. The first word, the Lord, the capitalization is Yahweh, God the Father, in other words. Said unto my Lord. Yahweh said unto my Lord. This is David speaking. Okay? This is not David who works in a shoe shop. This is not David who... Uh, Herds cattle somewhere, who is an ordinary Joe, living an ordinary life. Nothing wrong with that. Amen. This is King David. Now, what made David king? What made David king? What makes anybody a king as a Christian? You can't be one unless Jesus is your Lord. But all king priests wouldn't look at that. Yahweh said unto my Lord, what's David saying? I've got a Lord. Now, I don't know, you don't know, we don't know. Did David know who that Lord's name, did he know his name? Did he know he was called Jesus? We don't know that. So let's assume he didn't. And let's assume what he said. Yahweh said unto my Lord, I don't know his name, but I do know one thing. He's my Lord. Maybe some of you think, well, he did know. Maybe he did. But look what he says. I've got a Lord. He's my Lord. 
He's my Lord. He's my Lord. He's my Lord. Yes, he is Lord, but until he's your Lord, nothing in your life. Amen? Yahweh said, God the Father said, the God who rules the universe, the great creator of all, said unto my Lord, my Lord, my Lord, sit down, sit you at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. My Lord is sitting at Yahweh's right hand. That's what, that's what David was saying. See, David knew the command structure of the universe. David knew the authority chain or, or, the, or the chain of command. He knew what he was aligning with. Okay, you get these people, you know, all the gods are the same. Buddha, Krishna, the Christ of, you know, the Christianity. No, that's, that's just, that's, that's blasphemy. But it's also baloney. There's a command structure. And until you know it, and until you realize it, and until you have revelation of it, you're just floundering around, even as a Christian. Because a lot of Christians don't see Jesus as Lord. They see him as their cosmic guru, as their best buddy in the sky, as my homeboy, or, you know, Jesus is, Jesus is my pal. What a mate we have in Jesus. Amen? No, friend. And the reason it's friend is friend is a covenant term, not your best buddy, not your homeboy, not your guru. He's your Lord or he's nothing to you. Sit at my right hand. David's saying, you know, I, I, there, I relate to an authority structure God the Father, Yahweh. And I've seen somebody. I've seen a person. A capital P. And I don't know, God revealed to me that this person, capital P, sitting at God the Father, Yahweh's right hand, is my Lord. I relate to him. Amen? I relate to him. And I'm accountable to him. You're always accountable to your Lord. In the natural, we would maybe call it today your boss. You've got a boss, you, you go to work, you, you, you know, and you've got an employer or a boss or a manager, then you have to relate to them, you have to be accountable to them, amen? And you understand in the command structure of the organization you work in that you, know, you submit to their authority. Well, David said, I know the authority structure, but I know as you go to the, the very highest pinnacle, there's Yahweh and there's somebody, capital S, at his right hand, whether he knew his name or not. And a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth or anybody else ever said it, David said, he is Lord. And what did that do? What did that revelation do for David? I put it to you, it made him king over Israel. Why? Because when you see him as he is, you shall be like him. You see that? The revelation of Jesus as king, however limited or through a dim glass David saw it, that was enough to elevate David from looking after sheep to looking after the nation and children and people of Israel. What will that same revelation, which you have far more accuracy and clarity of, do for you? But you see what, what, what had to happen in David's life? He had to be told who he was. And it was a process. There's a couple of wonderful books by a guy called Dale Mast that speaks about this. There's a point where it says that there came a day, David had been king for about seven years or something. But there came a day it says David perceived he was king. Wow. In fact, I think the title of Dale Mass book on this, one of them is, And David Perceived He Was King. Get that book. I've spoken about it before. Uh, I recommended it to Alec. He read it, blessed. David perceived he was king. He was already king. Wow. You're already a king, a priest, 
a king and a priest, or a king-priest. You're already that, but there has to come a day where you perceive it, where it becomes real, real to you, where the penny drops in your consciousness and understanding. We call that revelation. See, we're not revealing, God's not revealing to us what we will be. He's revealing to us who we are. You've had this from the very second you became a Christian. In fact, you've had it before that because God preordained and foreordained in eternity that you would be his child. I know I'm getting a bit Calvinistic there. The sovereignty of God. Amen. I love it. But you see, the thing is, is you've always been that. See, you get a lot of Christians talking about, well, when I was unsaved or when I was lost. But if you're eternally foreordained and called to be a child of God and the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world, where are you ever lost? No, what was, you were just walking around in a lost state. Amen? That, that's a whole different realm. We're not going to get into that. Look what it says. Yahweh shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule you in the midst of your enemies. Now, oh yes, we talk about Jesus as King and Lord. Eh, when he comes back, when he comes back, he'll be King. No, he's King now. Isn't he? He's just waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. And it says, rule you in the midst of your enemies. But what that means is, is that there's a kingdom in the midst of his enemies. Amen? You know, when Adolf Hitler invaded France and set up the Nazi regime there, there weren't any, well, there were enemies, there was the resistance, amen? But there was no visible, there was nobody still fighting, there was no war still going on. When Britain defeated Adolf Hitler and, and went into Germany and everyone else, the war ended. There was no enemies. They'd been destroyed. So if this is talking about after Jesus comes back, why is he saying rule in the midst of your enemies? There's going to be no more enemies. There's going to be no more opposition. So he's talking about now. We've got enemies all around us now. And those enemies are getting bolder. Why? Because we're not seeing who we are. See, when we see who we are, oh my God, believe me, they won't see who we are. And when they did see who we were in times past, and great moves of God, the Reformation and so on, they ran for the hills. Or they hid in their caves. Because the glory of the kingdom of God manifest in and through his people will strike terror in the heart of his enemies. We talk about revival. Do we mean just get a whole bunch of folks saved? Or do we mean the manifest rule of God in the earth? I think both. Amen? Anyway, your people shall be willing, or your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. Arthur Wallace wrote a book, In the Day of Your Power, The Day of Thy Power, about God moving in the earth. Wow. Let me ask you today, are you volunteering? Are you signing up for this? Oh, we're signing up to fight the enemy. No, we're not. The enemy's defeated. We're signing up in the army of the Lord, which is an occupation force. Okay, the battle's already been won. We're a peacekeeping force. Now, we might need to put down a few outlaws and rebels, but friends, our great foe has already been defeated. So we're volunteering today in the day of his power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Now, this is where I want to go with this. Verse 4. Yahweh has sworn and will not repent, talking to this Lord at his right hand. We know as King Jesus, the New Testament identifies him as that. Yahweh has sworn and will not repent, never change his mind about this. There's not going to be elections every five years to see if Jesus is still on the throne. Amen? It'll never change. You are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, not the Levitical priesthood, 
Because Jesus, by his own blood, did away with the blood of sheep and bulls and goats and all that. You are a priest forever. There's a new order of Melchizedek. And I want to speak about the order of Melchizedek. I won't get it all done today, so we'll continue it. But Melchizedek, the name means king of righteousness. He was the king of Salem, as we know back in Genesis. And he was therefore the king of peace. So he's the king of peace and the king of righteousness. Peace can only come through righteous government. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, and Melchizedek was a king. So there's a new kingly order of priesthood. You are a king and a priest. Jesus is both king and priest, of course, and prophet. We're looking at this just now. The Lord at your right hand, now he's talking to Yahweh, and says, the Lord or Jesus at your right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. Don't get Jesus angry. That's the message of Psalm 2. Why are the nations in a tumult? Why do the people imagine futility? Because their leaders are telling them, oh, throw off the cords. Throw off that Bible stuff. Throw all these Christians out. Get rid of all this uh, Christian influence on our Western culture. Get rid of all that. So the people are going bonkers because their leaders, their kings, their presidents, their prime ministers, their globalist leaders, their World Economic Forum, the Klaus Schwab and all these people, they're telling them, let's, let's have a great reset. And God is saying, we don't need a reset. I have set my king upon my holy hill. Now we need a reset back to that. Because we've, we've veered so far away from it. And God says, no, you don't need a leader, a leader of the free world, because it's not free. You don't need the presidents. You don't need the popes. What you need is Jesus on his throne and everyone submitting to that. That's how culture will be transformed. That's how society will be changed. So he says here, that if you get Jesus, and he says in Psalm 2, you get Jesus angry, whoa, you'll perish in the way. That's our message. If Nicholas Sturgeon walked in here, if Rishi Sunak walked in here, and we were being true to this book and true to our own selves, we would be saying, you need to repent, get on your knees before the God of heaven, kiss the Son, lest he be angry, because he'll strike through you first in the day of his wrath. Oh, uh, uh, we, we, can't we, we can't hear messages like that, Pastor. We've got to preach love and acceptance. and <laughs> Because that's not love. To tell people everything's going to be fine. Jesus is your best friend. He loves you so much. He doesn't care what you do. Friends, that is apostasy. Herein is our love made perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Oh, but we can't talk about judgment. Well, you're already... You're already in error, friend, because the Bible talks about judgment. And it says, as he is, so are we. And we preach God is love. We preach the love of Jesus. We preach that men must turn to him. We preach that God loved, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We preach all that. But that's not the love they're talking about. The love they're talking about is anything goes. Do what you want. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. Oh, wow. Oh, Jesus. Oh, this is, oh, my goodness. What's happening? You're talking about the same Jesus I know. No, you're talking about another Jesus if this isn't your Jesus. Because the New Testament goes out of its way many, many times, 20-odd times, to reference this psalm and identifying it with Jesus. He shall wound the heads over many countries. Oh, 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 wow. Hebrews chapter 7. Where are we? What, what, what we're looking at time-wise? Oh, great, another hour to go. Hebrews chapter 7. <laughs> As I said, we won't cover all of this. This is a massive subject. Who are you? 
Because when you find out who, and let me just say this, you'll never know who you are until you know who he is. That's, that's what John's saying. You, you'll be like him when you know who he is. And let me tell you, he ain't the guy that everybody, a lot of people, sorry, that's, that's unfair, a lot of people say he is, which is, like I said, just this nice fella up in the, the clouds that just loves everything about you, including your sin, really, and leaves you just to, you know, we don't, we, don't want, we don't want to upset people when we challenge them. We don't want to talk about Jesus filling the place with dead bodies. Yeah, that's the second coming. Well, is it? Because he's talking about ruling the midst of his enemies. He's talking about um, striking through kings in the day of his wrath. Now, that might be, and I'm sure it includes the, the, the second coming. But, you know, he's still the judge. I've had prominent men tell me then had to, they had to repent, not me, that God, Jesus isn't doing any judging in this dispensation. So I, so I had to ask the question, well, if he isn't running things, who is? He is the eternal judge. And I know he's coming in a day to judge. I know that. I know there's a day of judgment. I know all the, at the end of time, the great white throne. I know all that. But if God, if God is not judging today, that means he's not running things. And if he's not running things, then the question is, who is? But my Bible tells me he is the Lord. My Bible tells me that he is on the throne. So if he says, I'm on the throne, but I'm having a snooze for 2,000 years, guys, it's all on you, then we're in trouble. But the Bible says he never sleeps. And he doesn't go on holiday. Hebrews chapter 7 says this, This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Just let me blow some religious, uh, some sacred cows over here. When it says he gave him a tenth of all, it later qualifies that. It qualifies it elsewhere by saying that he gave him a tenth of the spoils of war. Or a tenth of what they, they won when they won that battle. Back then. And it never ever says that Abraham tithed all his life. Because who would he tithe to? He was the patriarch. The only time Abraham tithed was when he met Melchizedek because he, he recognized, and there's something I want to tell you about this, Melchizedek is the banker, the banker of heaven. Now we'll get into that another time. But look what it says here. This is Melchizedek. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Oh, wow. Now remember what God said, Yahweh said to Jesus, as we know it to be, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. Spoils means plunder. Plunder from a battle. Not tenth of, here we go. I'm signing up to tithe to you every day or every week. You understand? A tenth of the spoils. And then he talks about the difference between the Melchizedek order and the Levitical order. But what I want to choose, verse 11, it says here, if therefore perfection was by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? In other words, God is saying he's replacing the Aaronic priesthood with the priesthood and order of Melchizedek. There's a new order, friends. And that order is the Melchizedek order. 
Melchizedek was a king, and he was priest of the Most High God. Jesus is king, and he is our intercessor, our high priest before God. And you and I, before we close, let's just look at a couple of things. We'll come back to all of this, really. A lot of it, anyway. Uh, in Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, look at this. Revelation chapter 1. See, why is this important? Because there has to be a royal priesthood. And I'm talking about man. There has to be a manifestation of the sons of God as king priests in the earth. Oh, does Scotland need that? Now, and you could talk about other nations. You could talk, you know, we can, we can go talk about Britain. We can talk about, um, we, not, Britain's not another nation, but I mean, we could widen it. Britain, Europe, all of it. What I'm trying to say is we're here in Scotland. And we've got all the imagery and the symbols of this all around us. And our heraldry. And until we see it, we need to understand there's a purpose and a destiny. Scotland is the land of destiny. Now, I might say that if I was in any other country. I might. But I do know this. Scotland is the land of destiny. Amen. And the destiny of Scotland is that there'll be manifestation of an order of Melchizedek, royal priesthood, sons and daughters of the Most High God, walking as kings and priests upon the earth. And that will go from Scotland to other nations. Look what it says here. We'll close this very quickly now. So we can have some time to respond to this. The revelation of Yeshua the Messiah, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how it begins. The apocalypsis. Oh, the apocalypse. Oh, you're talking about all oh, the battles. Oh, uh, you know, all these things. All the, the imagery and you know, black helicopters. And oh, you know, the mark of the beast. Blah, 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 blah. Friends, these things are all part of what's going on. But it's a revelation of Jesus that God wants us to see in the book of Re Revelation. The book of the apocalypse. Apocalypse doesn't mean everything going nuts at the end of time. It means in the Greek... A revelation, a visibility of, it, of pulling back a veil and saying, that, remember the film, The Man in the Iron Mask? Revelation means taking the mask off and seeing who's behind it. That's what it literally means. To unveil, that's, that's, the, that's the meaning, to unveil. Because women used to walk about in veils, didn't they? Some still should. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Some say. Not me. That would be unkind. But you understand, women, and, and, and be veiled for different reasons. Okay? The unveiling of Jesus Christ. In other words, when you unveil and have a revelation, what's he saying? You will see him as he is. Not as the church world, the religion factories, and all these other places tell you, oh, this is what Jesus is all about, friends. As he is. And the Bible says that everything fled from before his face. And when people out there will see him as he is, they'll dive under rocks and into caves because they'll be terrified. Oh, do we not need that? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Everything changes when the fear of the Lord comes. You don't need to preach. You just need to sit there and wait for them to come in. And, oh, oh, what do we do? What do we do? Oh. Friends, that's what we're needing. That's what they had in Lewis. That's what they had in the Welsh Revival. You didn't need to preach. Preacher could have a day off. But you're never going to see it without the fear of the Lord. The revelation of Jesus, which God gave to him to show to his servants Things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, the Christ, and of all things that he saw. Now, what I want to show you, and then it says to the seven congregations, watch this. Yeshua, from Yeshua the Messiah, from Jesus Christ, verse 5. Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness? Hands up if you know him as a faithful witness. Amen? 
and the first begotten of the dead. Well, we know that. Hallelujah. He is risen. Amen. Every Easter, every day, the risen Savior. So we know these things about Jesus, don't we? Oh, you can't tell me about that. I've been to Bible college. I know all about that. I wrote, I wrote my dissertation on the resurrection. I've written several books on Jesus' faithfulness. Oh, yes, I've, I've sat under the ministry of Brother So-and-so. And he talks all about these. Oh, yes, amen. I know these matters, pastor. But look what it says. The faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. How many of us know him in that capacity? The ruler of Nicola Sturgeon, and she needs ruled. The ruler of sleepy Joe Biden. The ruler of Vladimir Putin. And clown Zelensky. The ruler of all these people who are making such a mess of things because they're saying, and some of them aren't, give them their due, but what I'm saying is, let us throw off their cords and cast their bonds from us and let us have the world reset the way we want it. Yes? But it says, but Jesus is their boss. Now we've seen the faithful witness, we've seen the, 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 the first begotten from the dead, we know all, we've got books, sermons, but do we know him in this capacity as the ruler of the kings of the earth? Why don't we? Because we don't know who we are. You see, when David had this revelation of who he is, it made him king. Why? Because when we see him, we'll be like him. See, king-priest ministry is only something that people have started to talk about quite recently. Amen? Kings are, because look at the next verse, watch this. To, watch this. Uh, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Well, my goodness me, how many sermons have we heard about that? And I'll tell you right now, they're great sermons. And I want to hear more. And I never tire of hearing about the blood or revelation about the blood, or and the blood is what overcomes the great dragon, isn't it? The accuser of the brethren. The blood is what overcomes that old serpent called the devil. So we need to hear more about the blood. But watch this. Watch this, verse 6. I'm going to close, folks. And has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. We just stepped off into the, not the twilight zone, but the outer limits. We just stepped off into whole new vistas. We just stepped off into whole new planes of and dimensions of reality because we haven't heard much about this being kings and priests. Now, I want to ask you, what does a king mean? What does a priest mean? Does it mean what we think it means? If it does, then why aren't we walking as king priests on the earth? Because we haven't been taught to be and we don't know who we really are, is the answer. I'm not saying that this is breaking news. Other people have been preaching about this, but, you know, their voices are maybe not as prominent as others. And the whole point of this is this. If there's, a, if there's an order of king priests, of the Melchizedek order, our awareness of it, our revelation of it, our understanding of it, our consciousness of it, our knowledge of it has to grow so that it becomes so great that we're walking in it. And when we walk in it, the kings of the earth, in the natural, the presidents, the prime ministers, the, the first ministers, and all these secretaries of state, and all these council leaders, they will be, be in fear and trembling because the manifestation of the sons of God, the manifestation of a king-priest order, the manifestation of the Melchizedek people in the earth, it's, it, they're going to see it. And, then, and, and what does it say? Arise, shine, your lights come, the glory of the Lord. In other words, the Melchizedek order is manifesting through you. And what does it say? The wealth of the nations is coming, the forces of the Gentiles, and the kings will come in procession. Why? Because they came to Solomon, and Solomon was the Old Testament guy who probably walked in this more than anybody. 
Amen? A type of Christ. And you'll be saying, open those doors, because I know the Lord told me this morning, government officials are coming in because they need to hear this. When the Melchizedek order arises in the earth and is visible and see the glory that is in upon it and through it, is shining through it and upon you, and you are the Melchizedek order, it's not pastors and, you know, reverends, it's you, it's every believer that walks in this, then nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And friends, that we're walking in Isaiah 60 country then. Well, I've preached myself out. I've got another preach this afternoon, so I'm going to leave it there. Praise the Lord. We'll, we'll return to this subject because it's so vast and so important. Amen.